Behold! The sword of power. Excalibur. Welcome to the Oh Gosh, Oh Golly, Oh Wow podcast, the podcast where we talk about the Marvel comic series Excalibur and nothing but Excalibur every week for 126 plus weeks. This week, we're learning whether that alabaster skin goes all the way down in Excalibur number 124, Someone, featuring bachelor and bachelorette parties and much bacchanalia and the return of several someones, but to the detriment of all of us, only one of those someones gets creamed. Excalibur number 124 was originally published in September 1998, and the creative team is Ben Robb on writing, Dale Eagle Sham on pencils, Scott Hanna on inks, Kevin Titsley on colors, Richard Starkings and Comicraft on letters, and Frank Peteris and Jason White on editing. No, actually, going all the way is like a really big decision. I can't believe I was so capricious about it. Dee, I almost had sex with him. You almost had sex with who? Christian. <laughs> what? <laughs> Yo, look, are you bitches blind to something? Your man Christian is a cake boy. A what? He's a disco dancing, Oscar Wilde reading, Streisand ticket holding friend of Dorothy, know what I'm saying? Here comes the end, all dressed in white. No, that's just Farron jumping out of a cake. I didn't write the rest of it, but I tried in a very off-key <laughs> tone. I could go on, and I'm sure we will, but first we must, for the second last time ever, endeavor to introduce ourselves. I am Dr. Anna Papard. You know me from this and Super Sex and Sequential Scholars, and maybe through my very official, unofficial job as Kurt Wagner's PR manager. I am joined, as always, by Mav. Are you ready to walk Excalibur down the aisle? No, it's cold. I don't want to do that. It's it's very cold. Walking oh, it's terrible. It's, it's freezing. As we record, it is a bajillion degrees below zero. And when it's a bajillion degrees below zero, it doesn't matter if you're using Fahrenheit or Celsius. It's just damn cold. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty much everywhere. <laughs> Fahrenheit. In Canada, I get it. <laughs> wow. Wow. Love yeah. this energy. <laughs> yeah. It's just, oh, God. But yeah. Hi. My name is Christopher Maverick. You can call me Mav. Um <laughs> I co-host this show, another show called Vox Popcast, um, teaching assistant professor of digital narrative interactive design at University of Pittsburgh. I've been back at work for a week uh, already, though today, you know, what with having been back in classes for a whole week, today we took the day off because that's how our schedule works. <laughs> it's in, in the States, it's Martin Luther King Day, so that it's a holiday that's for right. us, but we just came, but we just came back 
two classes last Monday. So, you know, that was five rough days of, 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 full, <laughs> of full-time employment. And then it's like, oh, need to take a break. So that's mm-hmm. that's how we roll here. Um, I'm doing all right um, as far as, uh, you know, we'll talk about it. But this is a, a better comic than we've read in a while. I'll say that. It is. Like, it is. Know. I had fun with it. There's there's yeah. stuff to talk about. I'm looking forward yes. to it. I um, Speaking of cold, an actual thing I did earlier was use a shovel to chip ice away from the barn door so that I could get to my snowshoes. And I hate how that perpetuates stereotypes about Canada, but that is an actual thing that I did today. Um, Andrew, I assume you, you killed a bear on the way or a moose. Uh, <laughs> I did not kill any creatures today. Um, I'm a lover. I did put out extra seeds for the birds because they're hungry in the snow. So that was more my level of animal interaction. Um, Andrew, are you ready to give away the bride? Uh, nope. Unless Kurt pulls a speak now instead of forever holding his peace. <laughs> uh, hello, I am Dr. J. Andrew DeMann of Sequential Scholars, St. John's University, and holding entirely rational grudges against abusers. Uh, yes, they are very rational, and um, I support you in that. Um, we are joined for this penultimate leg of our journey to the end of Excalibur by a man who should need no introduction, but I'll give him one anyway. He is the former editor-in-chief of a little website called Comics XF. He is also the co-host of the Battle of the adam podcast but not the one that's my boyfriend we are instead joined by the bad boy of x-men podcasting himself mr zach jenkins hello zach hey 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 thank you all for having me on i'm super excited to be here uh it's sure a time to talk about excalibur I mean, it's always a great time to talk about Excalibur, I assume you mean. It should also be noted that I've been trying to get you on the pod for a little while, and I believe- A thing I forgot about. That is fine. (laughs) You're a busy man, and I am respectful of that, Zach. But I believe the specific way I got you on this one is that, you know, maybe a drink or two in, you mentioned that if you were going to come on, you wanted to come on to talk about Farron jumping out of a cake. And right, I took because note I of think that. it's very funny. I think it's very <laughs> funny that multiple times in the late 90s, there are characters who acknowledge that no one likes them and they were completely forgotten about. And all of us just kind of shrugging like, yeah, but it was Gaia, so who cares? <laughs> That's a Generation X joke, if you didn't read bad Generation X comics, like some of us have. There were no bad Generation X comics. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> listen, listen. I say th- I say this with a Chris Bacallo original behind me. I'm not convinced entirely there's good Generation X comics. There's just comics that I like. Wow. That's fair. That's fair. I've, rose-colored lenses. I've just been reading this era for the last 15 issues or so. So, you know. <laughs> Look, Ben, ben Rob's going to make you think that Jay Faber, uh, you know, maybe he had some uh, maybe he had I remember. Some yeah. Yeah. There was a... <laughs> and yet he also does have a very good issue near the end of his run, too, that is better than most other things. So, hey, who knows? Maybe, uh, maybe you can hit a good one every once in a while. I maintain Rob did the best with what he had to work with um, for these last yeah. several. Yeah. Again, I'm not particularly mad at this issue and I do want to get into it but I want to get into Zach's history a little bit first. Zach, as our final first time guest and because this isn't something I've ever talked to you about although we've known each other for a few years. but Longer than hear... you would think at this point, honestly. I, I don't know what, what I would think but I would love to hear though about your all important comics origin story because it is not something I know. I don't know when you started reading comics. I don't 
don't know when the X-Men obsession hooked you. So tell me about it. No. So it, I'd say it's an interesting story, except for it's super not it. Uh, I was born just young enough to be catching uh, the X-Men animated series on TV, but it was not part of the zeitgeist. Like when I was going to school and all that, that was like all of our older brothers generation. Like one of my best friends when I was growing up, he had all of the action figures. So I knew who Age of Apocalypse Cyclops was, but I didn't <laughs> understand. And he, I thought he had a great design. That hair, the one eye, mm, it works. Uh, <laughs> but it really never clicked for me until the movie came out in 2000. I went uh, to see it with my dad and I was nine years old. And nine years old is the right time to get thrown into Wolverine and be like, oh, what's this guy's <laughs> deal? Uh, so I got I got through that, started reading some stuff. I had some of the old uh, Essential Editions, the black and white phone book that they did of a good chunk of the Claremont run up through Brood Saga. Uh, and I read a couple of those. I mean, the Dark Phoenix one, literally the cover is, you can pull it right off the binding, but it's still hey, sitting on me too. over there. <laughs> it's a good one. Hey, it's hard to do worse comic or find better comics than that. That's a lot of that's a lot of hits right in a row. Mm -hmm. uh, but read that a bunch, kind of fell off uh, until I got uh, into college uh, they were relaunching the stuff with the Utopia uh, schism, all that. And there was a new number one. And I said, perfect. I don't have to read 500 comics now. I can just read this <laughs> one and be in good shape. That was less true. Uh, but started on that. Oh my God. Was on and off for a couple of years. And then uh, around the Bendis run, uh, I had a disposable income. So I got comic books mm -hmm. with that. Uh, and then I kind of got stuck into it ever since. Started listening to podcasts. Started a blog that turned into into a website that turned into a different website that turned into a podcast somewhere in there and then just it became a whole thing for many many years of my life well let me ask you the the personal question of like what draws you to the x-men franchise like why was it this for franchise in particular that hooked you and like what kind of to the extent that you keep being drawn back like what keeps you coming back and i also just have to note the idea of you saying you know, you're going to read this one comic and be fine is, is very funny, but, uh, but Oh, anyway. especially because it's in the middle of, it's in the middle of Kieran Gillen's arc. Like he had already done like seven or eight before mm -hmm. this and he was just keep on running. Uh, no, uh, what it really was is about the same time the movie came out, DK put out an illustrated encyclopedia of the X-Men, uh, that essentially took you right up to the Claremont revolutions era. So I had that first what I really think of as like that first big chunk of what X-Men is all in one book. And I would flip through it and read and figure out who the characters were. Uh, so I had that like that mindset that you get from someone who doesn't actually read comics, but does read Wikipedia summaries of comics. Yeah. <laughs> I was doing that before Wikipedia as a child. So then I was like in really good shape with it. And I, I at least I had the context for all of the messiness of X-Men kind of laid out so I could jump in pretty easily. So I at least knew like in that first issue, Mr. Sinister shows up and there's a billion of them. And I'm like, okay, no, this tracks because I remember this sentence that somebody wrote in an article somewhere in this DK encyclopedia from 30 years before that. Uh, and it, you know what? It worked out pretty well. Uh, <laughs> I just I'm I'm someone who's always been obsessive about getting like every last detail of a thing and knowing everything about it, which the okay. X-Men really works out for because uh, there's a lot to know and most of it doesn't make sense. So you have to work to like put it all together. So it's sort of like a, a perfect comic book addiction for you in this respect. Is that what you're crediting your X-Men obsession to? I mean, a little bit. Yeah. 
it it always was something that I could like sort out and puzzle through. And heck, half of the stuff that like how you and me first connected was through the site, uh, through Comics XF, and that only started because uh, it was me and uh, a couple of guys, Chris Edelman and Rob Secundus, were trying to figure out every last detail of House of X Powers of Ten when it was coming out, and that sort of caught fire, and we started running with that for a while. All right, well, let's let's go back to those days a little bit because I feel like it's a good time for it. We've all started doing our kind of like informal eulogies of the Krakoan era. And I do, I have been finding it a little bit something in my mind the way we're all doing that as you know our podcast about Excalibur is ending we've been doing a lot of reflections on the, the end of things and you know maybe the concept of rebooting to something more quote-unquote traditional but um <laughs> but yeah I don't know take us back to those days Zach like what made the launch of Hawks Pox like such a pivotal moment in X-Men fandom because I mean certainly we've talked about that on this pod before like so many people came back during that relaunch and like have stayed and got so intensely excited about it like what was so exciting about that moment i think number one uh it was good like end of the day not just not just comic book don't you remember this thing everyone's in costumes that you like them good but it was interesting and compelling and a little bit dangerous like you read this especially when it was coming out week to week not knowing where things were going or what were happening or if there were good guys bad guys what was going on the paradigm that you had been dealing with for the entire franchise kind of got thrown out the window and it was exciting to see what would happen at the at the same time because it was such high quality especially and I cannot credit enough the incredible artwork uh, by Pepe Larraz and RB yeah. Silva yeah uh, that mm-hmm. I mean put the the thing about comics and I know I know this group knows it very well is that it's a visual medium. The visual storytelling is so essential and frankly overlooked because it doesn't have the same continuity from issue to issue as writers do, at least in this modern era where maybe you'll get two and a half, three issues from a single artist before they switch off midway through an arc. (laughs) Uh, You had that. It was stuck in there. You got engaged as an audience. At the same time, there were big ideas being thrown out and not answered cleanly. It felt like there was a huge amount of potential like every last page could introduce a new story to run through what does this mean what does that mean you know what's the implication of the fact that they don't have schools what's the implication of them going around and being pharmaceutical drug lords what does it mean if they can't die like there's there's a lot you can do with all of these different concepts what does it mean to be a nation and it's stories that aren't just about fighting sentinels and being hated and feared uh and some of the stuff that had gotten very, very tired in the series. Uh, So it brought everyone back, got a lot of exciting stuff going from it. And, you know, for me personally, it came out at a time in my life where I was going through a lot of changes. I had just uh, started a new role. Uh, It was my first job with a different company after college. Uh, So, you know, it was a big life change. I just had a kid. I had just gotten through, uh, you know, just a lot of changes that were going on. And it hit at a time when I needed something to like ground myself in what my new normal is. And I think for a lot of people, especially with it coming out and then us immediately going into COVID. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. People people needed something to like dig their toes into and say, oh no, this is this is what I'm gonna be obsessing about for a little bit. 
and that worked out for me. And, you know, I think as as an era, it's been uneven. But on the on the scale of like, you know, on our podcast, we rank every X-Men story. Almost every time we go back to a story from the Krakoa era, we say even the stuff that doesn't work. We're like, there's a lot of interesting things happening here still. It's still mm-hmm. just not a boring comic. It may be bad, but it's bad in ways that I like am a little fascinated by. Uh, and that to me works a lot. And I would I've said this before and I'll say it again. I would rather have something take a big swing and absolutely miss than you know just go for a really safe hit that you know maybe you get on base so what that's not the exciting part yeah yeah i think that's something that Mav said a time or two on on this spot about about some of the stories that we've that we've looked at i it, it should be noted that andrew is the one that made me read hawksbox uh and i do remember saying i would never ever <laughs> refer to it as hawksbox uh, because i found that embarrassing uh for our old podcast three panel contrast and it's so funny like i went back and re-listened to parts of that like like a couple years later because i was just like what was i like making of this relaunch that would end up becoming a big part of my life in ways that I wasn't anticipating, like by me sort of joining the Comics XF folks. And I was like, <laughs> I was remarkably unimpressed by it at the time. It was just, it was funny. I was, I was not part of the moment. I was like, yeah, it was okay, I guess, but like, they're not going to be able to sustain this world building. Call me in five years. And that was like very much like my stance, which is funny in retrospect. There's been tons of it that I really enjoyed. And I realized in retrospect that it was much bigger of a deal, especially within fandom that I realized at that time because I'd been out of X-Men for five or six years at that time so I was not in in the moment I was not there as as someone who bought every single Mark Guggenheim issue and tried to Mm -hmm. convince himself that some of them were good believe me having having just like a baseline good writer like Jonathan Hickman Mm -hmm. that that was such a paradigm shift I was like wait no I can get into this I can I can actually not be embarrassed anymore and that was so, nice. that was I, nice. I get it I get it I have a much more appreciation for it after the fact I think at the time I'd just been out of X-Men for a while and I was I was still in my cynical I'm not an X-Men reader anymore phase so I was I was distrustful there Anna, was a lot of hurt ever, and pain <laughs> who would ever say or do those kinds of things knowing that it wasn't actually going to stand I can't think of anyone Anyway, thanks for reminiscing with us a little bit. I I, uh, I still want there to be like an, a Comics XF oral history of what everybody went through in those early days, but maybe we'll get through it. Uh, okay, let's get to this issue because I want to hear your thoughts and we'll do an issue summary before we do that. I know we've got lots of lovely listeners reading along with the pod. We'd never crash your bachelor party unless it was suitably funny. To prove our undying love, here's a plot summary. Excalibur number 124 opens in an alley with our old friends, the crazy gang. The gang has apparently acquired a mysterious new leader who is out for revenge on Excalibur. Elsewhere, Piotr Rexputin is watching Casablanca in the full-size movie theater that Braddock Manor has definitely always had, wondering if he should tell Brian that he definitely didn't have a crush on his fiance, but she definitely had a crush on him. Kurt arrives and tells him to lighten up, <laughs> ushering him along to the bachelor party. Elsewhere, Megan is experiencing her own doubts and worries about keeping romancy secrets from Brian, but this introspection is quickly cut short by the bachelor party featuring a guest appearance by Linda McQuillan aka Captain <laughs> random but she gets some moments here we cut to the bachelor party where the boys are smoking cigs and drinking drinks but Doug Lock drinks too many drinks and passes out meaning he's not awake for Linda's fantasy being carried to bed over Calvin Rankin's prodigious winged shoulder <laughs> during a quiet moment Piotr lies supposedly to Brian about having been in love with Megan at the bachelorette party Megan asks her friends if they can tell Brian about her thing with Colossus but they observe rightly that 
but if she's going to do it, she's got to do it herself. Linda answers the door, expecting a private performance by privateer Albion, but instead it's the crazy gang. A melee ensues, while elsewhere, Kurt wheels an oversized cake into the bachelor party. Brian is surprised by the cake, but even more surprised when the executioner bursts out of it, declaring that he's going to kill him. Kurt and Piotr intervene by hauling the robe off the executioner to reveal none other than Farron, dressed for the occasion in nothing but his birthday suit. Farron is mad about being left in that waterfall, but settles after being assured by the manly men of Excalibur that everyone, even pasty Weasley hermitines, is somebody to someone, I guess. The parties merge and welcome the now subdued crazy gang to the festivities, but all is not well yet, as Brian and Megan slink off for their private conversation. So we've already said that, you know, there's some stuff that we enjoyed in this issue, but... We're coming to you first, Zach. First impressions. What are you particularly eager to talk about other than Farron jumping out of a cake? Or if you want to start with that, the floor is yours. I mean, we don't have to start with Farron jumping out of a cake, but I'll tell you, when I first read this issue, I wasn't expecting Farron jumping out of a cake. And it utterly delighted me to no end. I was like, oh, that weirdo. Here's the thing. People say that every, you know, X-Men character is somebody's favorite. Oh, boy. But Farron wasn't. No. Like, I refuse to believe that that could have been true. Yeah. <laughs> of all of of all of Alan Davis's weird guys that he likes to put into everything, mm. Farron's near the bottom of the list. Even of his like, I'm not like I don't actually I don't actually like Kylon or Micromax. I only kind of like Cerise. Zach uh, is doing like oh. a whispering into the mic gesture as he's saying this, there's, as though we're not recording people. this and putting it on the internet. There's people who really like Farron, and I'm like, are, no. are there, there, there are Kylan. no such Kylan. people. I'm thinking of Kylan. Kylan, Yes, Kylan had a cool like action him. figure. Yes, Kylan had a cool I, action figure, and that was enough. And Daniel Newman never had those act, that Kylan action figure, so I don't have a connection to it. <laughs> I don't know if he had the Sugar Man, but he might have, because I do have a weird connection to Sugar Man now that I think about it. Is that a tangent we want to go off on? or <laughs> No, we don't need to talk about the Sugar Man. Uh, but no, what I think works about this is it's, it's kind of a quiet issue where people are having their feelings and talking about things mm-hmm. and just kind of having fun while at the same time having some of the Alan Davis zaniness that I think a lot of people really enjoyed about uh, Excalibur, especially when Davis was doing it. Uh, And I think there's a little bit of a joy that comes with that that is not present in a lot of Ben Robb's other work on Excalibur. Now, I'll be honest, I've not gone back and read all of Ben Robb's Excalibur because I don't hate myself the way some people do. But... (laughs) I hate myself in different ways. (laughs) In different ways. I read all the other comics that are bad too. Uh, But, like this one, I remember this standing out like, oh, actually... I'm kind of enjoying where where this book is going now. Like this is fun, and especially if you're gonna wrap up the wrap up the book, this is a nice little way to end it. Everyone having drinks, enjoying it, and saying, "Hey, look, end of the day, we're all just we had a fun time in Excalibur, didn't we?" Yeah, I can't argue with any of that. I mean, I was gonna ask you at the top, and I I, I forgot, but like, what is your stance on original Excalibur, Zach? Like, are you a fan? Is it one of your favorites? I get the feeling like it's kind of not because you don't talk about it that often on Boda. I think Alan Davis is great. Uh, I don't think all of Chris Claremont's stuff or Alan <laughs> Davis's stuff hits 
for me when it comes to Excalibur, but in general, I like it. It's just like like the cross time tape capers too long, and everyone knows it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> too that, long and, and that, interrupted by too many fill-in artists doing their yeah. worst work on Excalibur. <laughs> But mm-hmm. when Excalibur hits, it's charming and fun, and I get the appeal. And especially, I could see myself at the time, you know, like the late 80s, when X-Men is getting dark and into something different. Uh, Excalibur being a nice release and being, oh, this is my this is my comfort book that I love. I've had those books before. I get that. Mm-hmm. And Excalibur does that with a lot of skill because Alan Davis is unmatched. Yeah. And I, uh, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about it. I'm sure, but I like having Eagle Sham on pencils here, like kind of doing oh, yeah. his kind of best Alan Davis impression at times. He like really, he didn't quite have his nightcrawler down in the last issue that mm-hmm. he penciled, but this one, he really has a good design for him with the like nice devilish smile and the hair. And I'm really appreciating it. It's not Alan Davis's nightcrawler, but like there's a, there's an essence that survives and this interpretation of the character that I really helped sell me on the issue. Anyway, let's get to some other first impressions. Andrew, how are you doing? I felt like you were coming into it with some positive energy as well. Yeah, my main thought is actually very similar to Zach's. Um, one of the things that I think this issue does well is it foregrounds for me kind of something I've been missing through a lot of Excalibur, including Rob's run, which is the book's ability to um, operate on two competing thematic poles and to sort of accelerate through that. Like the idea that you would have these like intense emotional brooding twilight stephanie meyer kind of stuff uh and then on the exact opposite pole that slapstick silly farcical stuff and the ways that those two things can cancel each other out or work beautifully with each other and create something that's like disarming you know what i mean uh to enhance the darker moments but also those darker moments then set up the comedy in a really kind of um charming way so i guess it comes down to for me like like again charm uh, and i think that's something that was special uh, about claremont davis excalibur um so so having it come back at the end is actually kind of really nice uh, as a way to bring this thing full circle yeah i know there it definitely when like mimic goes into the room and there's like the little photo of you know Excalibur with Rachel there and Kitty in her old costume I oh the costumes are wrong (laughs) well the costumes are wrong but you know I still the essence was there and uh and I was like despite the fact that I've reread this issue many many times over the years I still got a little bit of a pang I was like that was that was a nice moment weird to have Calvin be the one who's reflecting but um that's okay (laughs) I don't mind anyway Mav how are you feeling about it I like it. <laughs> Ooh, reservations in your tone. Yeah. I mean, okay. So there's one issue left. And at the time of publication, you know there's one issue left. So the expectations aren't high. It's just kind of a, can we sort of kind of land this? You know? And mm-hmm. and I, I like that they're trying. I complained last issue about it going nowhere and not taking the opportunity to wrap up threads. And, you know, when I read this initially... Going back to wrap up the Farron thread, that wasn't something that was on anybody's bingo card. You know, like, <laughs> it, like we hadn't seen him since issue 70. And spoilers, in the history of the Marvel Universe, we're never going to see him ever again. I went and checked. He's got no future appearances. This is it. Oh, they really? Yeah, they didn't even bother to draw him next issue. And he's never appeared since. <laughs> 
So um, it's at least at least according to the Marvel Chronology Project, which I because I did I did go and check, and so the Marvel Chronology Project lists Excalibur number one hundred twenty four as Farron's last canonical appearance, and they know, lied like, to him. They said everyone was someone. It was a lie. Yeah, Lies. And, and, no, and it's so you know that was kind of something i have some quibbles and qualms that we'll get into but as far as like trying to like craft a story that made sense you know like bringing linda in i guess that's neat megan doesn't really have any friends so sure i mean that's that's someone she knows Okay, like I mean, like that's that's kind of that's kind of how it felt. It felt like okay, we've got to have enough people to make it seem like we called somebody. It is kind of weird that like you know Calvin gets invited to the bachelor party. Um, and you know, this guy, yeah, this guy that we this guy that we found in a basement, you know, yesterday. Hey, want to come to our bachelor party? As opposed to you know, call Di Thomas or or Alistair or fucking Pete. Rory. You know, seriously. <laughs> well, Pete wouldn't have come. I mean, Pete That's wouldn't true. have come. That's but, 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 Rory. Rory, as much as I don't care for the character, it at least would have made sense if it would have been like, Rory, I'm getting married. Would you like to come back and be at my bachelor party? Sure. Brian, we sort of kind of know each other. Why not? You know, like I was kind of on the team for a while. Alistair would absolutely make sense. They went on the cross time caper together. Not even mentioned. Di Thomas, not even mentioned. So there's weirdnesses like that. But like in a world where I like, I feel like Rob was not given permission to like allow Psylocke to appear. You oh, know, Spider-Man. Or, or Spider-Man. Spider right. Like, right. Brian's like, that, former that would, roommate, not even right. here. Well, no, I mean, bring him in as Peter, right? Like that would be interesting, right? If Peter Parker shows up for your, you know, who who you don't know is Spider-Man, if Peter Parker shows up for your um, bachelor party and has to help you fight the crazy gang without acknowledging that he's Spider-Man, that's kind of neat. Like, there are things that you could do, but those are missed opportunities but i feel like that's not going to be allowed this book's being canceled next issue mm -hmm. look this is what you get you know you know who you can have you can have farron mimic <laughs> and mimic um you also said, get linda who is incredibly down for all yeah. of this like i yeah she's, she's a married gonna... woman she's enjoying herself she just she wants to have a great time I was going to come to you for the Linda question, Zach, because you were just talking about the original Captain Britain stories on Boda a couple weeks ago, uh, probably like a few weeks ago by the time this episode comes out. But yeah, what did you make of the characterization of her here? I don't 100% <laughs> think it tracks no. uh, the Jasper's Warp. <laughs> But also, she's having the best time out of anybody at this party, so I'm not going to be, like, too upset. I don't think Ben Rob remembers that she was reunited with her husband, Mer or, I don't know, whatever, Marvel Man, Miracle Man, Kid Miracle Man. Not the one that went evil and did all of the Alan Moore stuff, the other one. I don't know Miracle Man continuity. I'm not going to pretend. But her husband, I don't think, I don't actually think Ben Rob remembers they're married. But that's fine. She's enjoying herself. She's having a, she's having a swell time. I, I, and she I deserves mean, it. She does. She's been through a lot in her life. She certainly does deserve it. I mean, I, I don't know. I had like mixed feelings about some of the sexual humor here. Like I, I don't know. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of the moment that I jumped off the Flash television show, which was specifically huh. when they had the Bachelor and Bachelorette party before before Barry and Iris's wedding and it was the most gender tropey bullshit and I was just like I can't I, I've, I've forgiven this show for so much and I'm out 
I just, I can't do this anymore. This was better than that. I am not like mad at this. I am, you know, happy that we had Linda there trying to, trying to spice up the ladies party and everything. Although, you know, the trope of just like bachelor, bachelorette parties doing strippers. And this is super risque for people that spend their lives in, you know, half naked in spandex. Uh, yeah. I always wonder about that, but, you know, whatever. Can I, I just because I don't think there's going to be a whole big discussion, but just skipping ahead, the stripper that that they have hired for the bachelor party, the stripper that Kurt has hired, mm-hmm. you know people who dress in less than that every day. So boring. Like I couldn't. I was just like, this is is this someone? Is it someone we know? Is it an alien? Like it's just some lady. What well, is which, that? I mean, like, I mean, it makes sense. Like I, you know, okay, I have been to bachelor parties that have had strippers. It's a thing that one might do. Except that, like, my friends don't all run around in spandex at all times. They lived with Rachel, you know? <laughs> like, they, they, you know, Megan, the bride, Megan, the bride, only wears bikinis in her spare time. You know, at least for the first part of this book. So, like, it's not, it doesn't track the way I think it's meant to. Their, like, lady cake stripper is, like, less cake than the usual Alan Davis sexy pajamas cake of early Excalibur. It's, like, very disappointing on that level. Right. So, it's... You know, but it, but but I, I mean, she only appears in two panels. I, I understand. I know <laughs> it's not making or breaking the comic for me, but it did stand out to me as well. I was yeah, just it like, does. is it someone? It's just some lady. Yeah, no, it, I like that, the that, story that, was that goes between the panels too, though. If you try to piece it together, that you get violently like, abducted and locked in right. a closet, and then you just hang around for the party to pet the dragon right. in <laughs> in in magic bondage, and then you're like, yeah, but then you're like, oh, okay, but they have cake, so. <laughs> Listen, and the dragon. They paid. They paid for the yeah. whole hour. She's just going to be enjoying the time. She gets to see a dragon. She gets to see some that's weird true. people. You don't get that on an average party. It's true. Get get macked on by this clown that's next to you. <laughs> the clown is really shooting his shot, and you know, good for him. It's not going to work out. But hey, speaking of just like generic bachelor bachelorette party, this is in the United Kingdom. It's weird mm-hmm. that they're not calling them stag parties, right? Like that's a thing. I don't know. It is. I mean, I mean all, but everybody's American. I mean, only the only person who's actually, I mean, well, Megan is Well, Megan. the person getting married is, though, so. Right, but Kurt's not, I mean, the, Kurt, Kurt is German, having spent most of his life at this point in America. Kitty's American. Piotr is Russian, having spent a majority of his life recently in America. Like, the most British person is Brian, and I don't know that like he planned it right like kurt wouldn't call it a stag party he did it but he is also very british yes yes that is a weirdness i suppose yeah and i i get it's an american comic blah 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 but i was like okay come on this used to be like aggressively british in the british context because i don't know this i do know that regionally where i live they're called and i really hate this and i even hate putting the sound of it in my mouth because i hate I it but they call them yeah they call them stag and doe parties and, and doe. uh oh you mean yeah. separately you mean yeah. you mean the, yeah. okay yes yes I, I understand and uh yeah i've always really resented that nomenclature so i don't know whether that's 
just like rural Canada thing or whether that also corresponds to the British context. Someone who knows better can can tell me because I am curious. I thought let's get into like the comedy a little bit more. Like we're all saying that we find it like kind of charming. Like were there moments that like worked or didn't work for us? I mean, like I don't want to be harsh on this issue, but I mean, <laughs> to what extent was this capturing sort of the tone of OG Excalibur and what to what extent was it disappointing us on that level? I, there's something I, that I particularly enjoy about this. And here's what it is. And I cannot believe I'm going to say this. This is a, this is a bigger shock than you just saying your, your stag and doe thing. Farron's done nothing wrong here. He is entirely <laughs> They justified. left him in that waterfall and apparently he like disincorporated because he was so tragically sad. For months, if not years at this point of continuity, right? Because it's been it's been long enough for Brian to return from the time stream for them to have like this is not like a couple of weeks ago. They moved. They left him under a waterfall and moved. And he's like, You forgot about me. And they're like, Oh no, we didn't. Yeah, you did. You left him there to die. Megan was sad, mm-hmm. and then like Megan showed up and because because they, they moved to um to Mer Island, and Megan shows up at Mer Island, and Brian gets rescued, and they never go to check on him because if they did they would have known that he disintegrated so they either never went to check on him or they did saw he disintegrated and was like well that's the end of that problem so yeah he gets to be a little pissed here right <laughs> like like, they, like i understand they maybe not at brian specifically other than the fact that like i guess from his perspective brian was where you know wherein all my troubles began you know but no farron gets to be mad and i don't no he's not my favorite either but i feel like i understand your pain kid you know like you you have a justifiable point in this situation what's our mileage on drunk doug Lock? is this just stupid. i mean stupid yeah ridiculously stupid it doesn't mean they just wanted him off the page he's a robot he's a robot or an alien or like in in no way does it make sense for why why would he be drunk it like the the logic of it makes no sense and i don't and it bothered me that they even attempted because that's the one moment where I was just completely taken out of it. I'm just like, why are we wasting time on this? This is dumb. I'm trying to remember the the Warren Ellis bar issue. Does he get super drunk there too? No. Oh, okay. I don't think so. I don't yeah, believe he does. I believe particular. he's no. He's there. I, but I know I he's in that. Mm-hmm. I forgot it's if just he the did anything. Then it's, then it's not even a callback. No. Ben, no. what are you doing? <laughs> I. It seems like he went with this slapstick Douglock thing, you know, and he's really invested in this being his pet project now to the extent that in the final issue of Excalibur, he's going to devote substantial page content to continuing Drunk Douglock as a narrative thread. And uh, choices were made. What else can I say? I'll tell you what, what works for me is essentially whenever the crazy gang is on the page, for some reason, they click in a way that, mm. you know, the very gendered bachelor, bachelorette party stuff doesn't. Like, that humor just doesn't hit in the same way or at all. But the crazy gang, uh, I've got such a soft spot for them. They just add up the madcap antics to this. Uh, like, if someone told me they thought the crazy gang was the most annoying thing in the world, I would just nod and say, okay, yeah, I get it. <laughs> but for some reason here, I don't know if it's just Eagle Sham's pencils and just selling them as just this goofy Mm -hmm. out of place group here or what it is but that that makes the issue for me and since they're on more than half the pages it pushes it into like enjoyable territory 
No, absolutely. And I mean, that's where I can think about that, like Alan Davis inspiration, right? I mean, you and Adam did a great job talking about <laughs> Alan Davis is always going to introduce like a kooky group of characters for our for our heroes to interact with, right? And you went through some of the special executive tech net and uh, the warpies, all of these different characters. And that's who should be at the bachelorette party. Mm-hmm. You should bring in Gatecrasher. Yeah. Megan would oh, yeah. probably not love a gatecrasher would have a very good like presence at a bachelorette party. <laughs> Absolutely, I think we'd all enjoy that. But yeah, I just think about I don't know some of some of Eagle Sham's art here, and it's just sort of like it does feel very in love with that Alan Davis zaniness, and he really is kind of giving him his giving it his all in kind of tribute to that on some of these pages, which really mm-hmm. resonates with me. Andrew, any like sort of comedy moments that worked or didn't work for you in particular? Yeah, I think. Um... The details for me are, are, are the places where, where you're going to get the hits, not the big elaborate jokes, like even the Farron thing. I don't know. I have a tr- trouble with accepting it just tonally. But like um, there's the the panel where they're having the actual party. Farron's been converted instantaneously. And there's this serious conversation with Megan going on. And then there's the one crazy gang member like completely blocking the frame uh, with, with like his butt in her face. Like that that's kind of cute to me. I, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed the line... Um, where Farron says, uh, I was transported to a strange and wondrous place, a place called High Street. That, yeah. that, that, that kind of cheeky British referential humor. Um, that was nice. So, so yeah, no, I, I think it's it's in the execution. And I think credit to, to both Rob and Eaglesham, um, both of whom are exploring the comedic side uh, in different ways. Yeah, I do. I like Linda's line about, you know, Calvin's like, I mean, it's an obvious one, but I'll, I'll take it. You know, Calvin's like, are you always this forward with men, Captain UK or whatever? And she's like, only the... <laughs> The big ones and i'm like okay <laughs> that's fun especially the way eagle sham draws calvin meaning you know extremely romance novel cover the hair mm-hmm. is just out of control but uh <laughs> I, w- I was gonna ask the question of like is farron coming out of the cake sexy but i feel like i kind of answered my own question as i was thinking about it because in my mind and i did make a joke about it earlier in the script but in my mind he was covered with icing in this scene i see upon rereading it that he was not but i am worried about the fact that i remembered it that way um and i had to share that revelation more about you than anything else yeah it really does it really does this was something in my notes though like is this someone sexual awakening because anytime you see something like overtly sexual in Mm -hmm. comics that's my immediate thought so when we were talking about like fair and being beloved by no one I, I was just wondering. <laughs> it's just, you look at this panel, and I don't think of Farron as, like, a particularly sexy character. No. Dude is jacked in this. Yeah. Have you seen him? Everyone in this comic is jacked. He, he's trying to do this wimpy, oh no, hide from everyone yeah. underneath kind of thing. But, but there's he a has, like, an to it. pack yeah. yeah. There's a gaziness to it, for sure. Yeah, the, I mean, the fact that he's covering himself, thus, so if... If, the, if his hands weren't down in his crotch to cover himself, it would draw less attention to his crotch, right? You could just say, you could, you know, code approve it by just having his leg in the right place. But the mm-hmm. fact that he is doing the Betty Boop, oh no, you know, like yeah. that draws a sexuality to Farron in a weird, uncomfortable way that, uh, again, I, I think what everybody else has said, I think that they are trying. You got two issues left. You got this one and one more, and they're trying to recapture some of that magic to the best of their ability, right? Like they're trying to yeah. say, we know what you came here for and let's just give you a give you a couple more on the way out so it's what everyone came here to excalibur for it's hot farin that's what yeah. we all want <laughs> right. Should be on we're the all looking for hot farin 
the, well, I don't know. It's not like, you know, exhibitionist fetish thing. You know, it's like the oops, I lost my clothes thing, right? Which Andrew right, has talked right. about on the pod before, right? Yeah. And I mean, that's like both like a sexual fantasy you can inhabit in that situation, but also, I mean, it's a sexual trope. So it's it's very much playing with that trope. So it is, I think, very self-consciously trying to be sexy, which again, is very Excalibur. So I do appreciate it. Not mad at it. If this was your sexual awakening, do let us know. Uh, <laughs> there's, there's, there's time for us to reflect on that. All right, let's end with some combo about about Brian and Megan. And I'm going to come to you for it, Zach. We've complained copiously on this podcast about not being particular fans of this couple, but I'll put the question to you. Are you rooting for the happy couple? Are you invested in this marriage, Zach? I'm not Silent. as invested. <laughs> Thinking. <Listen. laughs> I'm good. I'm trying to find a way to say this without making everyone who likes Megan mad at me. But it's just oh, like, no. <laughs> they were always going to be the spares. And that is that is a problem with Excalibur as a comic, is that these are the Alan Moore, Alan Davis characters that are just around. Megan's not really a mutant, but maybe kind of, but kind of not. She's just this weird, weird person connected to Brian as the first man she ever saw. I was like, oh yes, I will marry him. It's a weird vibe in the context of this comic. And here's the thing. I feel like the comic doesn't, it doesn't know if it wants you to root for them or not. Like you have Colossus sad watching Casablanca thinking that he's Rick in this situation. Oh yeah. And I don't fully think that that's the case. In a better comic, he would think think he was Rick and get it revealed that he was not in fact Rick. And that's not really what happens here. Rob is like, no, I love him. He's Rick. And listen, I think it's great that, uh, (laughs) That he gets to be Rick and Nightcrawler gets to be the investigator from Colossus or from Casablanca, whose name I forget. And they get to walk away and be like, oh, yeah, look, we're friends again, calling back to them being friends forever and all that. But in the context of, hey, I kind of almost ruined this marriage. Uh, it's a weird, <laughs> it's a weird poll. Because, like, people have seen Casablanca. We know what you're doing, man. Yep. Okay. Yeah. I've seen Casablanca many, many times. Yep. And and I'm a, I'm a massive Casablanca fan. And the problem is Colossus is Rick in this narrative, but not for any interesting reason, because what makes it not work is that in Casablanca, Rick is in love with Ilsa. He's in love Mm -hmm. with Ilsa, but he knows and he understands somewhat, you know, well, not even somewhat, extremely patriarchally, like that, like Ilsa is too important to the love to the war effort she needs to love um love victor laszlo so that like his work is too important that we have to get him laid so he sends her away that's the i have taught this movie i have taught the play i have taught everybody everybody comes to rick's the play that Casablanca is based on. It is a weird flex in Casablanca, but it works in the context of the time and of the movie that it is being made. And it works because Ilsa also understands that. And that is a sacrifice they are jointly making. Victor needs to be happy. He is too important. So Ilsa and Rick are both giving up their true love for the benefit of the war. Except that we are led to believe because we want Piotr to be a good guy, we're led to believe that he doesn't actually want 
exactly. Megan. Like, even in the... And I, I don't understand the logic of him lying. Like, the logic of him lying is, I will spare Megan having to tell Brian that she had untrue fault thoughts by telling him that it was me, which is a thing that happens in Casablanca. Rick says... You know, I want you to know that I wanted her. I tried to get her to stay with me, but she said, no, that's a thing that happens in Casablanca. And it works because Rick actually does love Ilsa and he's taking the heat so that she can go with Victor. It doesn't work here because Colossus doesn't want her. I mean, like, give me it, it like the logic of it. It breaks the entire metaphor because they need Colossus to be the good guy because he's going back to the X-Men later and he's got to, you know, like it just breaks. They can't do the they cannot do the illusion they're trying to do because they're doing it halfway and it makes no sense. And at the same time. Sorry, go ahead. I said it doesn't make sense. What does make sense is. Kurt being incredibly nonchalant about, oh, you almost broke up Brian and marriage or Brian and Megan's marriage. (laughs) Who has it? Who would live a little? Because that's how Captain Renault would be in Casablanca. Like that that makes sense. But like Okay, so the other piece of this, like Megan has the ultimate hall pass. Brian had sex with a Nazi version of his university girlfriend. Megan had feelings in the abstract for Colossus. Like, go to him if he says anything, tell him to shut the fuck up and then move on with it. Like she's earned that. There's there's no reciprocity there. I know. The the amount of guilt that Megan has put through in these yeah. she's like you can say that it's like it is something that she would do and something that she would feel because, you know, her being an incredibly monogamous character, despite her flirtation with Kurt, and like even in the context of that, is like been underscored throughout the series. I mean when they almost kiss, she's like, Oh god, what have I done? And like nothing happened. They almost they only their faces grew close and like she just feels so bad about it. So I mean Why this is out of character for her, and yet what the fuck man like, this is not on her not on her why at not, all why not have megan the one who's like trying to force a casablanca that would make yes. sense for her yeah. like because they'd be like megan you're trying to you're you're trying to do a casablanca here and this is not the same situation that would that would make thematic and she sense. she is the one the who's like obsessed with movies and tv yes. it would make a lot more sense right i mean it i will tell you why it doesn't happen because rob is completely incapable of writing a story from megan's perspective and has to yeah, always yeah. filter her emotions and perceptions through his pet character Colossus. It doesn't even make sense to, you know, he tries to sort of do something with Kitty like trying to be the voice of reason here but that doesn't work because kitty and kurt and moira are all aware that brian cheated on her like the kurt answer was is a confidant in it right I megan know. is on both sides right so 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 megan is doing this thing where she's like oh well but how can i tell him how can i break my heart break his heart and the answer is he fucking cheated on you it's gonna be okay <laughs> like any, if, if yeah. anybody was her, was her friend if any of them were her friend friend they'd be like yes i understand that you feel bad and the right here's okay here i'll be her friend yes i understand that you feel bad and i understand why you feel like you betrayed him but in the end of the day you didn't actually do anything just be honest here and he will understand because you forgave him when he slept with someone else (laughs) like 
there's no there's there's just there is no way in which it becomes a confusing situation even when she tries to lay it on on kitty she's like well you know what it's like to lose someone you it's like okay you're being a dick because kitty just (laughs) broke up but also not the same situation because in that situation you know like kitty broke up with with him because she was like oh i have feelings for someone else and i don't want to be with you anymore so even in that situation megan's in the driver's seat so what are you doing like the story it's it's infuriating because not because she feels that way i'm actually okay with her feeling that way for the reasons anna said Mm -hmm. the infuriating part is realistically no one else in the room should behave the way in this situation that they're behaving even (laughs) like even kurt kurt especially like, he's just like, when Colossus is like, I hope I did the right thing. And Kurt's like, well, you know, as long as you followed your heart. And it's like, no, Kurt should say, no, that was stupid. Why would you lie about that? What did you have to gain? <laughs> like, like, like what, what is supposed, he either knows or he doesn't. What does you saying, saying that you had feelings with her do for anything other than it matches the Casablanca scene? You're an idiot. You don't watch movies correctly. I like. I don't want to gripe about it because obviously the Kurt and Megan thing is so long ago in this book at this point. But it's just since we are doing the full circle thing, it just would make a lot more sense to have like Kurt having a slightly different perspective on this than he has. I mean, I I do like the thing about him just not taking it seriously, and I sort of read sort of the the ladies' reactions into that a little bit too. I mean, if I'm imagining if it was like me and my girlfriends and this is the situation, it would just be kind of like we're humoring her feelings because we know that her feelings are valid but we're also like this is just you know she'll get over (laughs) it i'm rolling my eyes a little bit it's gonna be fine i don't care pass the pass the boost Can I can I write a better comic here real quick? Because I can fix this Do quite it. easily. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or, no, this is this is this is an extremely easy fix. Four issues ago, five, somewhere around one nineteen, maybe even maybe even when they when when Kitty, no, I'm sorry, when Megan and Piotr went and hung out at the amusement park. Right at some point, all you have to do is let Megan be overcome with her emotions and with her loneliness and let her actually kiss Piotr. Yeah. Not like if she could, and, and nothing else happens, let her kiss him. And then if you want Piotr to be the hero, have him rebuff her. No, sorry. You're, you're involved. I cannot do this. You know, Brian took me into his home when I had nowhere else to go. I cannot betray him and you're lonely. I cannot take advantage of you. And then she gets to feel awful for months until Brian comes back. And then she gets to be afraid to tell him that's a story with conflict. Literally let her, because you're right. She's been so monogamous and I don't think she, you know, I think she probably had more feelings for Kurt than she ever had for Piotr, but just let her hit that point where, where she broke. And what she did was she crossed that horrible line of she actually kissed somebody else. And then she's got pain that I can identify with and that I can understand her feeling that, oh, Brian will never forgive me. Even if everybody else said, of course he will. He cheated on you. He'll understand. Like everybody else could say that. And then she could still feel justified in the no, 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 it's different, you know, for reasons. Because I actually don't think I don't think it's weird for them to be in a relationship where Brian like Brian is an abusive asshole. But I also think he has enough of a 
enough of a guilt complex that he understands that he deserves it. So like you could, you could do the happy ending. You could have him, you could have them, you know, her actually cheat on some level and they don't need to have sex, but just literally kiss a guy and then him go, you know what? I get it. I shouldn't have left. Like, and that makes Brian a hero and it gives Megan some sort of story beyond just being stupid. I mean, in terms of the difference between Megan's affections ostensibly for Piotr versus her affections for Kurt, she never, you know, expressed a desire to be inside Colossus's body in the same way that she expressed a desire, literally, by shape-shifting into Kurt's body. Uh, so oh, I'm gonna... She doesn't she, remember she, she doesn't shape-shift anymore. She doesn't remember she doesn't shape-shift anymore. Do that, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we never saw her shift into metal is all that I'm saying. Um, let's, go to some, let's go to some final thoughts, give everybody a chance to, to circle back to something or or bring up something we haven't talked about yet. I'll come to you first, Andrew. Final thoughts from you to close up our discussion of this one. Yeah, I think this touches on a couple points that you made earlier, Anna, but I, I think the, the idea that Peter feels this need like he has to step in in this situation is absurd because that's none of his business and, and really narcissistic. But but as you kind of said, therefore, a little in character, the way he's centering himself yeah. in, in this relationship that's not... He's really an idiot mean. and he behaves yeah. like one here. So I'm mm-hmm. not mad at that. But the thing is, I don't think Rob's aware of that. He's not telling that story. Mm-hmm. As you say, he's telling the story, again, the Casablanca story that Matt was talking about uh, of you know Peter's heroic sacrifice in the name of someone else's love, the Tale of Two Cities version. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I think there was an interesting story unfolding by accident uh, around Colossus in this issue. I, I would have liked to have seen it be um, foregrounded uh, to make it, uh, again, um, a better story. Someone really needed to say, like, you're not Humphrey Bogart, you idiot. <laughs> and we're missing that scene. <laughs> and that's Kurt. Like, that's Kurt's job. Know, and he does it really well. Mav, final thoughts about this one. Yeah. Um, I, uh, this is a, a couple of artistic notes, um, you know, some, some praise and some, yeah, that's a little weird for, um, for Eaglesham. The praise is the hair game. You mentioned it very briefly. The hair game is on point in this issue. Um, I, I love Kitty's hair. I think that, um, we've, um, ever since the moment that she cut her hair and then they forgot because the artist changed. And so it had, and also she went on vacation soon after to be in shield. And so like, it's been inconsistent, but as far as trying to present a Kitty Pride who is not going to be a teenager anymore, not going to be a little kid anymore, she's going to be a young woman, in this, and she's you know she's got her own little bit of style. Her hair looks good, and then similarly, you referred to you know the romance cover var- version of Calvin Rankin in this. I mean, mimic the beard is immaculate. I I love that. Yeah, <laughs> I know. yeah. I, it's, I, it's, I'm not. Linda, beard fan but holy shit <laughs> yeah Lin- linda i understand i would sleep with him too so i get it right mm-hmm. like i i understand where she's going here and and you know everything about that is great and i and so like i loved a lot of what was going on you know doug lock not so much doug lock is very much transitioning back into warlock here and uh, you know whatever where it falls apart a little bit are on the two photos one andrew mentioned which is 
the costumes in the the photo of the oh yeah of the like of the old Excalibur. I don't really know what's going on there. Brian never wore that costume when when Rachel was around. Rachel never had one that was you know a a, a costume that had open shoulders. I don't understand. I mean, she did, but not like that costume. I I don't know what's going on there at all. Megan didn't get that costume till much later. So those are weird. And then the one that's really really weird is oh. the picture of them on the beach yes yes okay since when is megan like only goes up to like brian's crotch and her height what is that size difference she is so brian is supposed to be i looked it up brian is supposed to be six foot six megan is supposed to be five foot seven a foot is a sizable difference between a man and a woman i mean it's a it's a noticeable difference but it is not belt length to head <laughs> like like she is wild i stared at that for minutes <laughs> did she shrink herself for yeah. you know for One of his fantasies yeah. yeah like i, yeah. I mean for a bit, it's for i was gonna i was gonna make that joke too <laughs> yeah. yeah i no, i mean cause, but i mean explain it to me right because it because if like if if there's a i know people who aren't us because we're weirdos right like i've seen people on online get upset about the times in uh mostly mostly in the ultimate world but it's actually happened in the regular um 616 marvel universe as well where we've seen hank and jan use their powers for sex they've used their growing and shrinking powers sexually and mm-hmm. people are like that's disgusting and i'm like no come on be no, honest no. you, you yeah. would try stuff yeah of course you would try stuff if, if particularly but you know if it's your longtime lover you know relationship your partner you would try things if you both had those abilities so i get that right but then i don't know what's happening here because they're just hanging out at the beach presumably with someone else who took the photo you know so I that's know. not what's going on and for some reason either he has grown to be nine feet tall or she has shrunk to be three foot four i, it's <laughs> I don't know what's going on that's, yeah no that's what i'm going with the three foot four thing <laughs> like i mean andrew you have small children who are taller than that <laughs> you know that, like, that's that's not a that's not an a right length for any person to be next to a, any adult no. human to be unless she was you know i mean if she had uh, if she were afflicted with dwarfism of some kind sure but she's not so what's going on here I don't understand. that is their kink and they have framed a photo of it for their friends to see <laughs> Just... <I guess. laughs> that was my only interpretation of it as well <laughs> two quick things and then i'll give i'll give zach the final word i like the tease on the cover in which we get a very different body type uh coming out of that cake a much uh a thicker, hairier body to throw us off the scent of fair, and I found that contrast amusing. And I also, there's a great line at the end of this comic where Kurt throws his arm around Piotr when Megan and Brian go off to have their little conversation, and he quotes Casablanca here, of course. I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship, dot, 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 for all three of you. And it's like, oh... <laughs> Okay. I mean, I wouldn't think that like Colossus and Megan and Brian would be the throuple from Excalibur, but you know, wonderful, like little, little excuse for your fanfic there. So let's go with it. Uh, Zach, coming back to you for final thoughts on this issue. Anything you want to circle back to or bring up that we didn't get a chance to talk about? It's all yours. Honestly, uh, no, I think it's funny that people don't like Farron, and I think it's funny that that became a plot point in the second to last issue of Excalibur. That delights me to no end as a connoisseur of characters that no one cares about. Uh, listen, no one cared about Maggot like, until, <laughs> like, 
four years ago. <laughs> maybe, maybe. And even then they're like, oh yeah, that guy, he's fun to draw sometimes. And I have four framed pictures of him. So like, oh. they're adorable. I love him so much. He's a little <laughs> slug man. Um, Last time Maggot appeared. <laughs> uh, Maggot. Make the cro- co- co- yeah, not long ago. Maggot not only had a Marvel Unlimited uh, miniseries about mm-hmm. him written by Alex Pacnado. That's honestly one of the better things that they've done in that. Uh, he was involved in both Children of the Atom, which I'm not uh, going okay. to say that he was in there because of me, but I'm also not not saying that. Uh, <laughs> that's not a joke. <laughs> <laughs> and then he was leading the X-Men in Dark X-Men for a small amount of time until okay. he said, actually, y'all are being weird. Now he has a boat that he's just driving around with a beard. <laughs> he's having the best time. And you're having the best time following his adventures, which I'm, brings me so much joy, Zach. I'm so happy, so happy for him. He does not appear in this comic. However, <laughs> I I love because I had that encyclopedic like understanding of X-Men for so long. I love seeing the weird polls like Farron and making a plot out of it. And if I was an editor, I would say this is a terrible instinct you're having, Ben Rob, and you shouldn't do this, and you should like make it about something that you've been talking about for the last like five years of this book's publication but as a reader i adore it and i'm just glad that they got to throw that in there at the end because it's like it's a fun dumb thing that's only there for the ones who are like really into the book fun dumb things for people that are overly invested in the ongoing story seems like a very perfect place to end excalibur staying there's a meeting of the round table No, I can't. We will wrap things up there other than to say, Zach, thank you so, so much from the bottom of my little heart for joining us. I am so thrilled we could get you on the penultimate episode, Better Late Than Never. Uh, before right we go, the buzzer. <laughs> before we go, I know you don't want people to find you online, but never. if you would like to rep any recent or upcoming episodes of Boda, the floor is yours to do so. Yeah, 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 yeah. You should listen to Battle of the Atom. It's a really fun podcast where me and, uh, I guess, friend of this show, Adam Wreck. Uh, <laughs> Friends, sometimes other things of this show, Adam Wreck, uh, have been ranking every X-Men story of all time from best to worst. Uh, We've been doing it for over six years now, which is too long of a time. We've covered over 800 (laughs) X-Men comics from just everything. Like, we have a Man-Thing episode that I have to record later this week. All about the times that Man-Thing has appeared in X-Men. You know how many times Man-Thing has appeared in X-Men? I can tell you, it's five. Uh, I would have said two. No, 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 no. We're we're stretching. We're okay. We may be stretching the definition of X Men for one of them, but it does have a handful of X Men characters, and also the main character is Chris Claremont. So I'm counting that one as an X Men comic. Wondering if you were doing that one. Yeah, we're doing that. Anna, we're doing we're doing that one where Chris Claremont sits at a bar 
he's really depressed that uh, the man thing comics are real and they happen to him. And then mm-hmm. Jim Shooter cancels the book <laughs> during the book, which is truly, again, you shouldn't write that comic, but I'm glad, I'm glad that they did. Uh, no, but we have, we, we have fun there uh, at this point. We've covered, we've covered all the important stuff. So now we're just vibing for the rest of time. And I will, I have told Adam, I will continue to do this show at that show as long as it's fun to hang out with my friend Adam. And that is mostly what the show is at this point. And if people want to listen to that, go right ahead. Otherwise, that's it. That's all I do public facing. <laughs> if you want to buy, if you want to buy a uh, HVAC motor and not just one, but like 10,000, you can try and find me otherwise. Uh, but besides that, you those are the only two reasons. Nine months. <laughs> I just replaced mine earlier, like last year. You, you should have. You should have. I tell you what, I opened up my furnace today because I wasn't hundred percent sure if one of my motors was in there. Sure enough, it was. My wife not impressed. When I say that, she's saying, then why doesn't our furnace work? And I say, quiet. That's not that's not what I'm trying to say here. Uh, as someone who can confirm that hanging out with Mr. Adam Reck is a good time, of course, people should go and listen to Boda. And I do hope that the two of you continue doing it as long as it's fun. I'll, I'll certainly be listening for that long. And thank you just so much again, Zach. Thank you for having me. Honestly, this is this is a delight. Uh, I missed out on all of the good issues of Excalibur when the <laughs> podcast started, so I had to make sure I got on one of the good ones at the end. Thrilled to have you on this one. So next, we will be covering Excalibur number 125, Tying the Knot, a.k.a. the final issue of Excalibur Volume 1. And we've got some fun stuff planned, which we already hyped on our socials. But when this episode comes out, there'll still be a little bit of time. If you want to submit a remembrance of the series or the podcast, doesn't have to be about the podcast, can just be about the series. We've got a Google Drive folder that you can upload those to and uh, check our socials for all the details. In the meantime, time if you liked what you heard please follow us like and review the podcast wherever you're listening to it or watching it i don't really know why you're reviewing it at this point given that we're wrapping it up but i mean i guess still still go nuts um don't forget to check out our fabulous youtube videos which we've done for many of our episodes you can find those via our website or the box podcast youtube channel as always if you want to chat with us about excalibur you can reach out via our website goshgollywow.com where we've got some fun extras and via x slash twitter and blue sky at goshgollywow where we post daily pages from whatever issue we're reading that week and more fun extras at least for a little while longer Thank you, Mav and Andrew, for another podcast party. Thank you, Zach, for joining the festivities. Thank you all for listening. And a special thanks to Maximilian of Thoughtform Music for a truly epic theme song. Play us out. Play us out.